Hey everyone, my name is Will Malice, and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus, serving the community since 1890, and this is the official podcast for the news section of the Collegian, called the Collegian News Hour. We're recording today's episode on Monday, October 14th, but this, like every other installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So here in the studio with me to recap the stories we have covered over the past week are the rest of the news team, if you want to introduce yourselves. I'm Chris McLaughlin, an assistant news editor. I'm Abby Charpentier. I'm the news editor. And I'm Catherine Eston, another assistant news editor. Cool. So um, our first story today is on, um, uh, this is an article, it's written by Cassie. Uh, she's not here for the podcast today, but um, uh, her article was about the Amherst Town Council holding discussions on plans for North Village. Um, so back in September 27th, we had talked about this on the podcast, um, that the university had announced plans to replace North Village with graduate housing. Uh, so the town council meeting was held to kind of discuss that issue. Residents of North Village um, released a statement with demands to UMass, um, which include uh, not discriminating when relocating residents, conducting a forum and being more transparent with residents, returning to the form of a yearly lease, signing a contract with the GSS GEO that the construction will be complete by 2022, building an equal amount of housing units for family students and increased funding for the Dean of Students Office so that the current and incoming graduate students may use to pay for rent, uh, support their families, and revoke the closing of the Family Center. And there was also a administrators there and and uh, they send out archives to property uh, managers in North Amherst to find relocation sites which is close to their current community specifically um, Brandywine and presidential apartments. Students who are relocated will continue to pay the same cost that they were paying at the North Village complex and then discussion on discussion on housing continued um, and then Councilwoman Sarah Swartz was there and she called on the university to continue making housing affordable in the future. So uh, what are your guys' thoughts on, on this meeting? Well, I definitely thought it's interesting it's being held by the town council. Uh, the Amherst Town Council doesn't necessarily have jurisdiction in whether North Village stays or goes. Uh, but it's very important to notice in town-gown relations that things that the university does, like closing down North Village, you know, have these big impacts on the Amherst community because while they're all residents of the graduate area, they're also residents of the town. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Of When I did talk to Cassie after she came back from the event, she was saying... You know, the town is almost telling UMass that they need to be more careful about the steps they take, um, but they don't really have the power to stop UMass from doing any of this. To your point, um, I think it's important for, for Amherst to kind of be involved with matters uh, UMass. Like, like UMass obviously is a massive part of Amherst. They may not have the most power, but it's good that like at least the town is there to kind of hold these meetings and kind of help take part in keeping the university accountable. I'd also be interested to see how uh, I noticed one of the requirements demanded by the residents was that the university sign a contract with GSS and GEO that construction will be complete in 2022. Uh, and with all the different construction projects going on, going on on campus, um, I read over the SGA article that was written this past week. It was a short meeting, but they talked a lot about, you know, the Worcester Dining Commons renovation is currently going on. Eastman Lane and University Driver being repaved. Uh, the Fine Arts Center is getting renovations. North Village and Lincoln Apartments are being replaced, uh, and then they're just moving a lot of buildings around on campus. And I'd be interested to see how UMass is balancing all of these projects at once, and whether signing a contract for one of those buildings to be completed on schedule might impact the building of everything else, if anyone has any thoughts on that. I'm surprised by that list. I hadn't heard the full list of what you just said before. 
um, especially things like the Fine Arts Center and like a couple of the roads. Um, didn't even know about those constructions. So right. the list is longer than I thought it was. Yeah, there's there's a few I didn't mention. Um, the other big one being that all of the uh, cultural centers are moving to Goodell, which isn't necessarily a new construction project, but it is something the university is dedicating resources to. Uh, and I'd be interested to see in whether the university is starting to assign those kinds of priorities uh, or whether they are at a point where they don't need to assign priorities. Very cool. Um, so for our second story, uh, Chris? Sure, yeah. So um, UMPD uh, released its annual uh, fire safety report and the security report. One concerns crimes that have happened on campus in the calendar year, which was last year, 2018. Uh, the other concerns instances of fire which have occurred on campus um, for the same calendar year. So in total, um, some of the most notable things um, from this were that there were five hate crimes on campus, six fires, 12 burglaries, 23 instances of rape, and a total of 348 liquor law violations. That includes arrests and referrals. So compared to other years, though, there's not dramatic differences um, because the report also gives the two prior years the statistics for those as a form of comparison but some of the things to note were there were no murders or manslaughter on campus Um, all three all past three years there haven't been any instances of that in the cases of burglary there were 12 um which was down from the past couple years where it was slightly higher. Seven of them actually happened in a residence hall. Um, they also distinguish between a burglary and a, burglary and a robbery, um, whereas a robbery is like when someone is forcefully taking something from you um, and threatening you, essentially. Um, and for robberies, there were three which occurred on campus. Um, There were also, um, as mentioned, five hate crimes which occurred on campus, which were a big thing, especially last fall at this time. Um, In Melville Hall, there was the the racism on the bathroom window, not window, mirror, I should say, um, and as well as that poster that was defaced. Um, There was the incident in JQA, I believe, um, where it was the door that was vandalized as well. And UMPD, in its report, did talk about that. They said, quote, in 2018, uh, UMass had two on-campus vandalisms characterized by racial bias, one on-campus vandalism characterized by religious bias, one on-campus within residence hall vandalism characterized by gender bias, and one on-campus assault characterized by bias of national origin. Uh, Compared to previous years, um, in 2017, There were two on-campus within residence hall vandalism incidents that were characterized by racial bias. And in 2016, there were three on-campus within residence hall vandalism incidents um, that would be defined as hate crimes. There was definitely an increase in 2018 compared to the previous years. And other things to note, there were the fires which happened. Um, Most of them were small um, and didn't result in any or not that much damage, but the largest one was in actually Patterson Hall, which resulted in $2,500 in damages from a failed heat circulatory pump in the H- in the building's HVAC system, which um, was just interesting that there was like a fire that caused actually several thousand dollars in damage. Otherwise, um, the biggest amount of crimes that happened on campus were 
liquor law violations, um, which I'm not surprised about. We do police reports here at the Collegian, and um, especially UMPD and APD logs, um, you'll see a bunch of arrests and citations and stuff for that for liquor law violations. So it's easy to see how those rack up and accumulate over the course of the both semesters, both in the spring and in the fall. The one thing that I did notice was that um, for drug laws, uh, drug drug violations, breaches in drug law, they're actually, they went down, which I can't verify this for sure, but I have a hunch that maybe because we recently, as a state, legalized marijuana, so maybe police aren't cracking down as much. I can't independently verify that, but just in looking at the statistics, it's fallen in the past couple of years, so that may be a factor, but otherwise... Not that much. There were no crimes at Mount Ida. That's also, just to note, no crimes at Mount Ida in 2018, because they're also included. They are a part of the UMass campus. I was just going to say, it sounds like quite a utopia over Newton there. No crimes. Um, and I was also interested in uh, the report commented on that there's 1,510 security cameras in use on campus. Yeah, that yeah. was something interesting that I caught in the report as I was going through it. I didn't know the exact number of security cameras on campus. Of course, you see them all the time when you're going past academic buildings and even in residence halls. But just to have like an actual like factual statistic about the number that are on campus and in residence halls was just interesting. And I felt like it was important to include. Yeah, I kind of want to see a map of where they all are. I don't know why, but looking at it and it says 37% are in residence halls and 63% are in non-residential or auxiliary locations. Um, and just coming to mind, I know where certain ones are. You know, they're in the elevators at the libraries. Um, they're definitely in all the dining facilities. They're in all the entrances to buildings. Um, but I'd be interested to see in whether certain parts of campus are more covered than others. Hmm. I don't know. Just something to, be, to think about. I wonder where they all route to as well. There right, has to be some sort of like central hub where they're getting all the feeds, right? Or do you think it's broken up by region? Maybe. Like maybe there's somebody that watches all the ones that are in, you know, Whitmore and Campus Center and the academic buildings and somebody else for the residential. Because that seems like a lot to keep your eye on at all times. Yeah, that literally over a thousand cameras, 1,500. I think um, also you mentioned about um, how there's only four drug arrests this, this year or in 2018, which which I agree is like, which I think could be caused because marijuana was legalized. But, um, but even like... If you look at, like, previous years, in 2017, it was 11, and then in 2016, it was um, 7. Yeah. So, which is, like, still, like, it's still really surprising, considering, like, it's, like, less than a tenth of the arrests made for alcohol. Exactly. So. I'm actually surprised that there aren't more drug violations, because just because it's legal in Massachusetts, I don't think it's legal on campus. It's not, no. So, I would think that there would be more, especially with, like, the dispensary opening in Northampton, and it's just becoming more... I don't know, like accepted or just more available, I would think that there would be more on campus. So I think that's surprising. Maybe um, also drug offenses could happen like, like I think based on like what, what we've done with the police logs, um, a lot of the liquor law violations happen like in parking lots. So m maybe drug use is happening where it's a little maybe easier to hide. Maybe they're ha happening more like in discrete locations or like inside and where, you know, it's not as easy for like a police officer just, just to like see you using drugs. Yeah, I definitely second that interpretation uh, because the most common liquor law violation, at least in my reading of the APD and UMPD logs, uh, is when people carry around open containers 
because they get stopped for that. And then if they get a second one, it's because you're carrying an open container, a lot of CRAD, and then it's somebody who's under 21. It's kind of that double hit there. But uh, I think people are more aware uh, that it's very obvious if someone's using drugs. Uh, so they are less likely to do it in public, would be my guess. Uh, and like you said, they're going to be more discreet. They're not going to be, you know, walking down the middle of campus carrying it. They're going to be in their rooms or out of the view of the police officers. Cool. So um, uh, we'll move on to our last story. We just have three stories this week, kind of a, a light week. But um, so this story was written by uh, Megan Sorensen and Cameron Chin. And it's about um, Hannah's Ride, which is uh, in, um, an inaugural uh, bike ride and community event uh, that's run to honor late UMass student Hannah Frilo. Frilo was, was killed in July of 2014 after being struck by a car while wa- walking her bike on Northeast Street uh, in Amherst. So uh, the event features a 17-mile bike ride as well as a bike safety rodeo demonstration by uh, UMPD, uh, UMass Amherst drumline show, raffles, and uh, liquid nitrogen ice cream. And the money raised goes to the Hannah Frilo Memorial Scholarship. And this scholarship gives $1,000 to women and gender non-binary undergraduate students uh, who are active in the community and studying uh, STEM majors. And Frilo is a supporter of women's rights uh, and the Stonewall Center for LGBTQIA students. She was also a treasurer of UMass Amherst Pride Alliance and worked uh, for the Office of Information Technology at UMass. So um, what are you guys' thoughts on this event? I thought it was definitely really nice that it was held. Uh, you know, this is something that happened a few years ago, and it's been in development for a few years after that. Uh, and I think it's very nice to see that the university stayed involved, that the people that are working on the scholarship, it's not just friends and families from outside the university, uh, but it's people who are still employed here. And I think it really speaks to Hannah's continuing impact that people who worked with her, uh, it's now five years ago, uh, are still so affected by her loss that they want to continue supporting the people she would have supported. Yeah, definitely. If, um, I think it's, it's really nice that like, events like these are held to kind of honor her and keep her legacy going. Yeah, and I also thought it was really nice that they wanted people to learn from the event. It wasn't just a fundraiser, but they talked a lot about bike safety, since that is involved in how Hannah uh, was killed because she was walking her bike in the bike lane. And I think it's just nice that they want to not only promote uh, things she was interested in, but also try to prevent other tragedies. All right, cool. So um, I think that's all the time we have for now. It was great having everyone listen. Tune in next time. And once again, I'm Will Malice. I'm Chris McLaughlin. I'm Abby Charpentier. And I'm Catherine Eston. And you've been listening to the Collegiate News Hour. The music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Crude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.